Psalm 32 is a beautiful psalm. It's also shorter than Psalm 31, so it's easier for me to preach in one week. Sin against God and forgiveness by God are the main things that God has told us about in his word. And this psalm is about being forgiven. But it's about a lot more than just being forgiven. David is the one who wrote this psalm, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But David is trying to tell us how awesome it is to be forgiven. Forgiveness is something that we can take for granted, just like we can take our food and our clothes and our vehicles and our houses and our family and any other good thing that God has given us for granted. But if there's one thing that we should not take for granted, it is forgiveness, and in particular, forgiveness by our Heavenly Father. We should never take that for granted. David wants us to realize that this is something that is wonderful. This is something that is to be celebrated. This is a tremendous gift. And he starts out this psalm, which we will read here again in a minute. He starts out with the assumption that there are only two options. Being a forgiven sinner or being an unforgiven sinner. There is no non-sinner option, right? There's only those two options. Either you're a sinner and you're forgiven, or you're a sinner and you're not forgiven. There's no other category of person in this psalm that you have the option of being. So keep that in mind then as he lays the joy of forgiveness before you and the method of seeking forgiveness. Let's stand again as we read Psalm 32. A psalm of David, a mascal. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. 
Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The blessing of being forgiven is first set up in contrast to the suffering of not being forgiven. You have this contrast where it starts, David David begins by declaring, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But why blessed? Why is this man blessed? The answer is, in the following verses, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. So here's the contrast. Body wasting away, groaning all day long. Next verse, God's hand heavy upon you, your life being drained away, many sorrows versus not having those things, (laughs) right? If you had to pick between having the sorrow, having the groaning, having your body wasting away, having God be opposed to you, his his hand being heavy on you, crushing you, weighing you down, or just not, you would pick not. You'd pick not suffering. You'd pick not body wasting away. You'd pick not groaning, right? It's a simple choice. It's easy. But it's not just the absence of that suffering. It's not just that those things don't happen to you when your sins are forgiven. There's actually tremendous positive blessing on the other side. Being protected from the flood of troubles. Having a hiding place, verse 7. Being preserved from trouble. How about just being surrounded with the singing and shouting of deliverance? Set aside the question of whether you were in trouble and you were delivered.
If you've ever been to a, a football game where you didn't care who won or lost, everybody ever been to a football game, you're like, eh, whatever. Or, or a baseball, any, any sporting event. Okay. And where you're sitting with people who really care. Are you with me? And it's looking bad. It's looking bad for the team that your, your friends care about. And all of a sudden, you know, what, what teams should I, should I pick on? I don't know. We'll leave them nameless. I won't pick on the Bengals anymore. All of a sudden, they intercept a pass and they return it all the way for a touchdown. And what happens? Your friends jump up and they shout and they cheer. They've been delivered. Delivered from the misery of watching their favorite team go down once again in flames, right? Have you ever, have you ever been there when that happened? Even if you didn't care. It's hard not to smile, right? It's a pleasant, pleasant thing when you're surrounded by people who suddenly are rejoicing. You surround me with the songs of deliverance. And if you look at the little footnote there, it says, or shouts. And so if you think that singing is done like this, you're wrong. It's done like this. Yeah! That's how we sing to God when he delivers us. The blessing that we have from God is his loving kindness surrounding us. His loving kindness surrounding us. You can't ask for a better blessing than God, the creator of the universe, the one who is sovereign and in control, intentionally surrounding you with good things. You can't ask for something better than God deciding, I'm going to surround him not just with good things, I'm going to surround him with my loving kindness. I am going to forgive. I'm going to forgive him. Isn't that the central reality of God's loving kindness? That he would forgive us. If he surrounds us with loving kindness, what does that look like more than forgiving us? And this is why that contrast that David sets up is so helpful. Because on the one hand, being miserable and suffering and being weighed down by our sins and being crushed under God's hand. And on the other hand, being surrounded by his loving kindness, which upholds us 
Those are opposites. Being crushed down under his hand versus being raised up in protection and surrounded by his hand. And so, are you blessed if you're forgiven? Yes, you're blessed if you are forgiven. Now, I started out by saying there's no, there's no third option. There is no, there's this other person that, you know, decided they don't need forgiveness because they haven't sinned, and so they're just living their sort of alternate universe life of perpetual goodness and blessing. It doesn't exist. There is none righteous, no, not one. As David reminds us elsewhere in the Psalms. And so if there are none who are righteous, the question before you is, do you want to be forgiven? And of course, everybody says, oh yeah, I mean, that sounds good. Sounds better than not being forgiven, right? But do you care? Do you actually care? Do you believe God's word? If you don't believe God's word, God will bring trouble upon you if you do not seek his forgiveness. What does it mean to be forgiven? It means that you can live. It's that serious. It's a question of life and death. If you are forgiven, your sin, which separates you from God, is forgiven. It's covered. It's taken away. And so you become righteous. Now, David says, there is none righteous, no, not one. None who seek the Lord, right? And then here, what does he say? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Is David crazy? (laughs) Nobody seeks the Lord. Seek the Lord. There is nobody good. Let the godly seek him. Let the godly pray to you while you may be found. No, David is not crazy. He doesn't just randomly contradict himself. Okay? So what are we to make of these statements? All that David is saying when he declares that there are none righteous, is the need of this psalm. 
the need of forgiveness. All he's saying is, there is no other option. There are sinners who are not forgiven, and there are sinners who are forgiven. There is not this other category of simple righteous people. And so if you are forgiven, then you become righteous. You are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You guys see in verse 2 here, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Impute becomes a little bit longer word in theology, imputation. Have you ever heard that word, imputation? How about double imputation? Go ahead, raise your hand if you've heard the term double imputation. Okay, good, we got some answers, good. Double imputation is a beautiful thing. Double imputation is when our sins are no longer imputed to us, but they are imputed to Jesus Christ instead. Now, what does imputed mean? We got to better make sure we understand, right? Means laid at the feet of. Okay? Laid at the feet of. So, it's kind of like when you're holding an egg, right? It's not cooked, and you turn around, and you drop it on the kitchen floor, and there it is. Splat. At your feet. Right? All over the floor. Shell, slimy, yellow, clear, all there, right? It's a mess. Nobody has any doubt who did it. You did it. It's at your feet. And yet, to impute it to somebody else, would be a lie, right? But what if, what if somebody came and said, that was my fault, I knocked his arm when he was turning. He would be taking the blame for the broken egg, right? So he would say, that, that failure, that broken egg, that, that is imputed to me. Let that be laid at my feet. Now, double imputation is the same thing with sin. It says, your sin is no longer at your feet. Your sin is at Jesus' feet. Jesus is going to pay the price. Jesus is going to pay the penalty for your sin. 
That's single imputation. Okay. The double part comes as the second part of the blessing. Remember I said, you're, you're, it's not just that you don't suffer under God's crushing hand, right? It's that you are raised up and protected in his strong right arm, right? That's the, that's the double part. The double part is that we receive Christ's righteousness as our own. It is imputed to us. So you can impute sin and guilt and the punishment that goes along with it, right? You can also impute righteousness. And so, here we have this beautiful description of double imputation in this psalm. That on the one hand, verse 2, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, our iniquity being taken away, right? Imputed to somebody else. And then verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Who's righteous? Well, nobody's righteous, right? There's only sinners who are forgiven and aren't forgiven. But there are righteous. The moment you are forgiven, you are made righteous. And that's the second imputation. Receiving the blessing of forgiveness is not just that your sins are taken away. It is that you're receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the only one who ever lived a sinless life. And so, to be forgiven means both that your sin is covered, that your iniquity is taken away, and also that you are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All of this is trying to convince us that this is a good thing, that it is a wonderful thing to be forgiven. That, in fact, the first line is true. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. It really is a blessing. It really is marvelous. It really is a tremendous gift. So if it's so good, if it's that obvious that you don't want to suffer, that you don't want to be weighed down, you don't want your body wasting away, and you do want to be protected when there's a flood of troubles, right? All these things, yeah, obviously, everybody wants to be forgiven. How blessed is the man? Yep, sign me up, right? Why does David feel the need to urge us, to teach us, to instruct us, to remind us, you are blessed if you are forgiven? The answer is fairly simple. It's because our temptation is to lie about our sin, 
rather than to seek forgiveness. Right? This is why verse 3, or verse 2, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What is the biggest deceit that man tells himself? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I couldn't possibly be expected to respond any other way under the circumstances. Right? Aren't we always justified in doing what we did? Don't we always feel like that's exactly what God should have expected from us? God, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit and so I ate it. What did you expect to happen? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I mean, I know I did the thing that I wasn't supposed to do, but it wasn't my fault. It was circumstances. It was the people around me. They sinned first. They caused me to sin. Or even worse, to sear our consciences so that we no longer even see our sin as sin. I'm not responding in unrighteous anger. I'm simply being a good disciplinarian. I'm not lusting. I'm simply admiring the beauty of God's creation. I'm not gossiping. I'm simply making sure that everybody is protected. There's a million ways for us to justify ourselves, right? Wicked, wicked ways. Every time we justify ourselves, what can we not have? Forgiveness. You cannot have forgiveness if you are not a sinner. It's impossible. By definition. Why does this matter so much? Well, because we are constantly tempted to lie. We are constantly tempted to hide our sin. We are constantly tempted to keep silent. To hide it. But what will happen to the wicked, they will be destroyed. The wicked may hide under the mountains until the moment that they see God and they begin to fear him for the first time. And then they cry out that the hills would crush them rather than God.
Now, I know you know the temptation to hide your sin. And the reason I know you know is because you all were kids once. And you all experienced that that choice when asked directly by your parents, did you, did you hit your brother? Simple yes, no question. Right? Did you hit your brother? There's a lot of answers to that, right? For a simple yes, no question, you'd think that it's either yes or no. But, well, and immediately the calculations start running in your head. Did anybody else see it? Can I get away with a blatant denial? Or did somebody see it, but I can pass it off as an accident? Or did somebody see it, but I can plead extenuating circumstances and justify myself? Right? There's all these... And why do we immediately start down this this questioning, asking ourselves, what can I say? What can I say? It's because we don't want to face the guilt of our sin. We want to lie about it. Why is there such temptation to pretend as though we are not sinners? Because forgiveness requires faith. Forgiveness requires faith. We must believe that the Lord is and that he rewards those who seek him. Right? If you don't believe that God exists... The thought of owning your sins before others is absurd. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. There's no need for forgiveness. If there is no God, There is no forgiveness. There is no need to seek forgiveness. There is no need to be honest with yourself or with others. And so although the wicked, wicked song that I was quoting claims that that'll be the salvation of all mankind, far from it, It leads to the hiding, intensifying, and growth of sin. Because there is no fear of God and there is no possibility of forgiveness in a world where there is no God.
and acknowledging our sin to God is a fearful thing, isn't it? The one who made us, the one who demands that we live holy lives, the one who has given us every good thing that we need. And to admit, yeah, in spite of the circumstances, not because of the circumstances, remind you, in spite of the circumstances, I sinned against you, God. In spite of the fact that you created me, that you gave me the world, this beautiful garden, all the food I need, a wife, I sinned against you. Totally different answer, isn't it? And that requires faith to give that answer. Adam, just like us, faced the temptation to hide his sin rather than seeking forgiveness. He did not have faith in that moment. Faith believes God when he gives a promise that he will forgive us, that he will not cast aside those who seek him. But one of the things that we are often tempted to believe is that there is no hope for us. Just as we are tempted to lie to ourselves and say, oh no, I'm not really that bad. I'm seeking justification for myself. I'll do okay. So on the other hand, there is a great temptation to say, I am so wicked, God couldn't possibly forgive me. And both of these are lies from Satan. Lies that are meant to prevent you from receiving the blessing of forgiveness. Lies that are meant to turn you aside from faith. God isn't going to respond by forgiving me. God is going to respond by destroying me. If I acknowledge my sin to him, I'm not going to I'm not going to be upheld. I'm not going to be protected. I'm going to be destroyed. He's holy. He's blameless. He's just. He's a jealous God. He hates sin. How could he respond any other way? Is he truthful? Because he said he would forgive those who come to him by faith. If you're going to talk up how great and glorious God is, don't pretend like his words don't matter. He has declared 
that He will protect His people. He has declared that He will forgive all who come to Him in repentance. And so, David calls to us, let us pray to Him for forgiveness before our time is up. Then he goes in and he starts talking about oxen. Or no, mules, right? Be not, do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. Why does David start talking about animals right now? It's not because of how strong they are. It's not because of how pretty they are. It's because of how stupid they are. Don't be stupid like a mule. You know, the old, or a horse, the old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right? He's saying, look, I'm telling you, it is better to be forgiven than to lie, to hide, to pretend, to continue in your sin. It's better to be forgiven. Go to God. Pray to Him. Don't remain under His hand from afar. Be near to Him, protected by His hand. But He knows. He knows what you're thinking. I'm not so sure this is a good idea. He's like, I've got the rope. It's attached to your head. I'm pulling. Why won't you come? There is goodness over here. This is what he says. Don't be so stupid. Don't be one of these men that has to be driven with a whip. Don't be one of these men that is constantly trying to turn aside from the goodness that God has promised to you. Just go already. Go to him. Confess your sins. Receive the blessing. Those who listen... And seek forgiveness from the Lord while it is possible. Be that person. And then, respond the same way that David responded. Not just by the relief of no longer being crushed under God's hand, but with the rejoicing that he does. With Telling everybody else. Calling everybody else. Shout for joy. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Why? Because you're righteous now. If you've received forgiveness, you are righteous. If you're righteous, you will rejoice that you've been forgiven. It's a tautology, right? 
How could you be righteous without being forgiven? How could you be forgiven without rejoicing? Therefore, the righteous rejoice. And if we're rejoicing, if we are grateful for forgiveness, then like David, we'll tell other people. We will instruct them in the way. Here is the way to forgiveness. Here is the way to blessing. Here is the way that your sins can be taken away and you can be righteous. And the moment that you begin doing that, you will realize why David talks about the two kinds of people. (laughs) Why won't you listen? Why don't they listen? I'm holding out life, life to them, eternal life. But they don't care. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. You cannot save anybody. But you can proclaim this truth to them. And by God's grace, he will save some. He will forgive all who come to him. And so I call to you, and those of you who have come, I command to call to others, just as David does. Repent and believe before the time is up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your Son, Jesus Christ, is coming again. And when he returns, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Father, we know that it is only through him that we are able to enter into heaven. It is only through his righteousness and none of our own, Father, that we are righteous in your eyes. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags before you. And so, Father, we depend upon your forgiveness. We depend upon your promise that you will impute our sin to Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sin on the cross and that you will impute his righteousness to us. Now, Heavenly Father, grant that we would not hide in our sin. Grant that we would not be unwilling, unable to humble ourselves to come to you in repentance. Father, grant us the gift of faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.